This is Kevin. And this is Ron. And this episode of Your Valuable Home is brought to you by Provia. Provia, a faith-based company that makes entry doors, storm doors, patio doors, vinyl and wood-clad vinyl windows, vinyl siding, manufactured stone, and metal roofing, all of incomparable quality. To everyone in our audience across 44 states, countries overseas, thank you for listening week after week and for making Your Valuable Home among the top 10% of all podcasts. We have two big announcements to make. Aha, the first one. Beginning the first Friday in January 2023 and continuing for five Fridays into February 2023, we'll serve up the podcast and YouTube series. That's YouTube as well. It's called The Coolest Neighborhoods in America. Enduring, historically significant architectural style was the determining factor in the neighborhoods we chose to feature. First up, multiple neighborhoods in Philadelphia and surrounding areas that feature to this day prime examples of homes in the mid century modern architectural genre. That podcast and YouTube release Friday, January 6th. Then on Friday, January 13th, we'll interview two longtime residents of Medford Lakes, a resort community of log homes turned year-round Mecca on a series of lakes in the protected Pinelands of New Jersey. And the coolest neighborhoods of America will continue through the first week in February with podcasts and accompanying YouTube videos. This is a first for us. Anybody who's interested in architectural styles and just finding about these communities where the common denominator is a real sense of pride of about the community. Then in early February, we'll celebrate our 100th podcast. Can you believe that, Kevin? 100 podcasts. Podcast. That's podcast. amazing. I've actually watched you get older doing this project. <laughs> and the beginning of our ninth year in broadcasting and podcasting with tons of ideas for our listeners from Kevin and Ron and frequent contributors to Your Valuable Home. Ideas to help our listeners make affordable home improvements as well as lots of ideas to enhance the value of their communities. Our 100th podcast celebration begins in early February. All about you, the listeners of Your Valuable Home. Welcome to Your Valuable Home, the weekly podcast for listeners who believe that residential real estate is the way to build wealth. Hi, I'm Kevin Kennedy, a working contractor and host of Your Valuable Home. Your Valuable Home is for homeowners and investors alike who want to acquire and improve real estate based upon educated decisions. And I'm Ron Milk, Your Valuable Home producer and co-host. Our weekly one-hour podcast is not about doing it yourself. It's about hiring the right contractor to do the right job at the right price. And it's not about flipping. It's about buying and holding to build wealth. Homeowners and investors who strive to create wealth and financial freedom with real estate and avoid costly home improvement mistakes. Your valuable home is for you. The Project Replay made redoing our kitchen and bath trouble-free. Your horror stories have kept us from hiring the wrong contractors. The college segments have taught us how to keep toxins out of our home, what to look for in replacement windows, how to borrow sensibly against home equity, and more. College teaches investors like me how to freshen up my rentals without spending a fortune. Their suggestions are great for ROI. It's time for Your Valuable Home. Okay, we got a super, super podcast for everybody today, and uh, the lead-off is Pat and Beach talking about the Peruvia windows, Yeah, right? we just signed them okay. up. Yeah, he contacted uh, us to install some windows. We talked yeah. to him about the Provia windows, and we're going to talk about some of the reasons why he chose me, but being as a contractor. And he's a listener, too, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah when I was over there, I, I will say we had a big sign that said talking about Lyme disease, and uh, I just showed Ron before, and uh, he said, listen to the episode, and loves the episode, loves the show, so I wanted to bring him on. And talk yeah, we got a, a lot of more. good feedback on that. I think Frank got some emails on that show, too, right? When that 16 interview. emails. 16 emails, there you go. Yeah, good number. So mm-hmm. let's let's get into talking about his new Pro-V windows that we're going to be installing at his house. First time we, when you meet somebody, you always want to talk to them. Feel them out, seeing what's going on, what they're looking for, what are their expectations and their goals. But as we were signing yesterday, so now that we got everything signed, 
Pat, could you tell me what was one of the reasons why you chose the contractor that you chose, being me, but on general, for our listeners and anybody's going to be signing with anybody, what are some of the reasons they should look for? Yeah, sure, Kevin. In fact, you know, we, we talked through this a little bit, but, uh, you know, prices is always a factor. But I think understanding what you're getting for that price is really critical. I recall a phrase I saw on a forum somewhere. It said, we're not rich enough to buy cheap. It's really talking about value. And, you know, when you need to make a comparison of apples to apples, you really need to understand what's in the quote, what's covered. Is everything in writing? Are there going to be any surprises? Are there going to be add-ons? And that's really important to understand. I would say the, you know, the second piece beyond price is quality, understanding what sort of product is going in, how does it compare to competitors on the market, and what's the coverage and warranty, how is that warranty obtained if an issue comes up. So that's really important to understand. And then when you're looking at a job like this, the quality of the installation is equally important. Really getting that understanding, talking to you and going through this process for the, the last couple of weeks, I'm convinced that you know I won't be dealing with some subcontractor of some subcontractor. Everything is with yourself and uh, the VSP team. And all of that is very contained and, and well understood what's in and and what's not. Yeah, I, I tell you, there's several times we always talk to, to people about what were the reasons they chose. And you're right, price is a big part of what they're going to be choosing. And if you're overcharging somebody, you, they might be looking somewhere else. And I don't say it's going for the cheapest price. Yeah, because you, go, you go for the value. Look for value. Yeah. I, we couldn't say it because when we, we talked about it, I said to him, I, I said, Pat, how is I price-wise? We're the contract sign. We're not changing anything. It's all fully loaded. We walked through everything. And I, I believe you said compared to some of the competitors, that was much cheaper, correct? Yes, that's definitely the case. So if you're, look, Ron, I'm the cheapest and I offered so much more. I mean, how many times have you talked about windows getting installed by window manufacturers or companies that are going to be doing windows? And and I said, it's going to be in the quote, I'm, I'm prepping and painting all the trim that I'm going to be putting on the inside of the window. No contractor does that because they're window guys. They just want to install the windows and get in and get out. I'm looking at turnkey service. So we're something a little bit different, but take me as an anomaly just anybody that's getting a job like this, think about in the price and when you're getting that price and you have to do some painting on the inside, uh, most of the times it'll say painting by others. And people ask me, who's the other? Well, who's like, the others? You're the other. They probably don't <laughs> They probably don't even know who the others are when they, they just go out and pull people in with a hook, right? Yeah. It's, hey, what, you want to paint a house today? Oh, who cares what we're getting? What's your yeah, price? Yeah. That's most of the time. These are the horror stories that are calling the show. So if you're having these horror stories because you hired the wrong contractor, why don't you ask the right questions like Pat just said? He, in his mind, he knew he had to go for value. But you have to ask a lot of questions. Sometimes a lot of people don't know many of the questions. So what I do is educate. As listen, and I said, Pat, I'm not here to try to sell you. I'm trying to educate you first. Mm -hmm. And if you want to use this based upon that, and I tell you, that was one of the fastest emails uh, you returned back when I gave him the price, explained everything, what we're doing, put it in writing. And then probably it was like 30 seconds later, all right, we're good to go. When we signing? Okay. I pleased you on a lot of the information that I did give you. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think it was thorough. I think I came up with six or seven questions with regards to, you know, I think about a job is like what happens before, what happens during, and what happens after. And all three of those are pretty important with regards to, you know, anyone who's doing work in your house and you know, understanding when will stuff need to be staged or stored. If it's a, a larger job, obviously windows skinny in one dimension. So that's not as much of a concern, but access to different areas, you know, what needs to be moved or removed, who's doing that. And then 
you know, how the things proceed. And then obviously terms of payment and completion and all of that as well is critical in terms of not just the final price, but the timing of payments, you know, who's on the hook for what, you know, where is their skin in the game? I think all of that was very well understood. Yeah. In other words, the devil is in the details and you want to have the details spelled out in the agreement, contract, whatever you want to call it. Those are all pieces of good advice. I would add one thing. Take photographs of the job. Everybody's got a cell phone today. It's easy to go out and pop off some photographs of window installation. I'm not necessarily saying it, that should be done in your case because you can trust Kevin 100%. But I'd be but glad to do it. Every yeah, job yeah, would love do to it. do it. Well, have the contractor do it or you do it or the homeowner do it because if there's ever a dispute and the guy says, well, no, the windows were installed, window siding, whatever it was, the concrete was done properly, you can go back to him and you show him a picture and you say, is that correct? And the answer is no, because the picture is telling you it's no, right? So I, I take pictures of every every major, I mean, you, you can go crazy with it too, but every major job, I had my house restuccoed at one point. I took pictures of everything, the underlayment being put down, uh, the, the the stucco being put on because it's stucco is a uh, it's a finicky product. If you don't put it on just right, you're gonna have problems. So yeah, avoids all the questions. If what if what well, you have the video yeah. to show it? Got the video. Got the video. Well, still pictures will do it too. I mean, you well, don't need a video to do it. But when Pat and I were to talking, it's something different. Like I said, it, it's going to be tough for contractors. With it. It's very rarely done today. Of the owners, one physically doing the work. You, you very rarely see that. Oh, yeah. It's all subbing out. And we talked about it when we sat down. He was talking about a flooring situation he had, and it was subbed out, and it was just difficult. And listen, Pat, I, I, I hate to say it, and for all of our listeners, we hear it all the time. So it's not something different for us uh, hearing it wise, but one thing we decided to do was change that by us doing the work. Because if there's a problem, you're calling me. We don't have a service team like everybody else that just goes around and fix and repairs. So that's why we decided to do it our way, which is Dave and I ones physically doing the work because we know we're going to be doing it right because we're the ones, if there's a problem, got to fix it. Mm-hmm. So we make sure it's done right the first time because right. I don't want to come back. I, I'm sure Dave doesn't want to come back. So if we do it right the first time, it's going to be easier on you because you're going to get that peace of mind that the contractor's doing the job right. But again, yeah, I would, if Pat, you need pictures, if you're going to be there, I, I'm very uh, aggressive by showing people what we do. I want to pull you in to show you how things are working. Besides telling you, I want to show you. So if you are there, or if you need video, that's something we're going to do because I'm the one that's going to be doing the work. I told him step by step who's doing. Dave's on the outside. I'm going to be on the inside. How the process works. Yeah, the other the other part of that puzzle is that if you ever go to sell your house and somebody knows what they're talking about, say, how, how were your windows installed? Here, take a look. Here's my picture book on it. Yeah. There's no disputing it. Well, that's why I, it, when you talk to other contractors, it's a great way for them to build the business up. Trying to do a job and give it a homeowner something that you didn't really get or should have gotten better, and there's a problem, that's not going to take your company very far. So why not we do it right the first time? But everybody's about, how can I sell you? Well, why don't we educate first so the homeowner knows what they're getting? And if they get the education in the beginning, they know what they're going to be getting, then it's a lot easier for you to sell the contract. But if you're, yeah, I don't know, Pat. I'm not doing this, Pat. I don't know if that's included. I'm sure you would have probably said, well, I don't think I'm the right contractor for you. But I wanted to explain a lot of the options that we're going to be including, because if we include those options, then there's no what ifs. Right. Hey, you want rubber? No, I gave you the most expensive rubber. I, what about that foam? Well, I, I gave you the most expensive foam we're going to be doing. If you need pictures, I can glad to give them to you. Mm-hmm. But that's why we're going to be doing the work. And I know that's what he said. That's one of the big reasons why 
very rarely do you hear that that an owner is going to be physically there doing the work. And I told him if it gets a little bit warmer Fridays, I'm not there as much because I'm going to be probably golfing. But we're there during the winter. We're there seven days a week, Dave and I, during the winter. Then really during the week, it's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. We're banging it out. I'm the one that's going to be doing the trim, the painting. Dave will be doing the trim, capping. But it's us doing the work. And depending on what sub crew you get with another company, you're rolling the dice. And I believe, Pat, that's what you said to me yesterday. You're, you're basically rolling the dice on what subcontracting company is going to be coming out if you sign with one of those big name companies, correct? That's right. And, you know, I could use that that example from yesterday without naming names or anything like that. But when you have different crews come in and you're dealing with, you know, a single point of contact, you know, maybe your your salesperson was involved, but, you know, they've, they've made the sale, they got their commission. I don't know when that's funded, but they got their commission. They're out of the picture. There's either a GC or a, a point person who's the one who's scheduling crews and they don't have the skin in the game necessarily. They say, well, I sent this crew out and they did this and and they said they're done. Okay, well, it's not done because, you know, this trim was pieced or this trim has uh, some stain on it and it was uh, applied in- inconsistently or something like that. So then it's more of my time to kind of follow up and try to chase that. And yeah, there may be a, a hold back in the final payment. But to be honest, exactly like you said, I'd, I'd much rather have it be done right the first time and not have to follow up two or three times to say, well, what what about this little piece or what about that little piece? I paid you for the whole thing and we're like 98% of the way there, but we, we have to get to the finish line. And that's really what it's all about to me. All good advice. All good advice, Pat, um, for anybody who's going to do any home improvement, whether it's windows, siding, whatever it is. All good advice. Yeah, know what you're getting. It's first yeah. step is know what you're getting. And if a contractor is a little shady on trying to explain exactly step-by-step method of application, probably that's not the guy for you. I always say to people, if you don't feel comfortable with the contractor you're going to be hiring, how well do you feel that the whole job's going to go very well, knowing that you're going to get the best when you sign that contract? Well, is that a question for Pat or a question it for you? anybody. Throw it out there, right? listen. No, I mean, I wouldn't hire somebody under those circumstances if you don't feel good about it don't do it it's like anything else pat is there anything else you can throw in for our listeners to give them a good education and something that you did that we can educate them when they're signing with a contractor nationwide i think i would just take your advice back and say ask lots of questions and if you don't know the questions to ask do some research online especially if you're doing a, a big project you know know what's involved ask someone who's done it recently for advice or, or feedback what have they gone through what would they do differently and, uh, you know, certainly for, for references or, or those sorts of things, um, you know, those, those are all pieces that I think help to make a relatively pain-free experience and job end to end. Right. And what was the uh, product that you chose? It's going to be, we're going to be installing. What's that final product? Provia Endure. Vinyl repl- yeah, it's a vinyl new construction replacement window. So what the new construction we explained about, the new construction is the nailing flange. Mm-hmm. I want that so I can tie my rubber in. Mm-hmm. The replacement is a three and a quarter inch depth window. So I'm putting all new jam extensions on, all new trim, and I'm going to be prepping and painting all the trim that I put up to match mm-hmm. the window. So it's all included. Everything's in there and spelled out in the contract. Pat, we appreciate your time coming on the show and talking about this. Absolutely. Happy to be here. All right, we'll get you on as the process keeps moving along. And we're going to be installing the windows so our listeners can see what you're going through and uh, how we're doing. <laughs> so that's always a good part to make sure the contractor's doing a great job. But thanks for doing this. Lay it on me. What's the horror story? Well, thanks to our listeners calling in. And I had a nice chat with one of our listeners. And uh, he loves the show. And he had a little bit of experience. Didn't want to come on the show. He said the 
job's still in the progress and he wants to make sure it's done. I said, well, it, it doesn't work that way. Uh, we don't ever need to mention names. And anybody listening that wants to come on, we don't have to put your name on. Just give us the information. But it was such a great help for him. And I actually felt pretty good about talking to him because helping somebody out is what we do here at the show. Mm-hmm. But it was actually a little bit better because the contractor do some additional work because his subs didn't do the right job. So immediately upon the first day of installing, he's telling me how these guys are installing the windows, the siding and everything that's going on. I said, okay, well, let's talk about it. So as he said, once they ripped the siding down, they put the windows in. He said, you talked about rubber. And I said, yeah, the rubber's got to be tied around on a certain application. I explained how it's done. So he started sending me pictures, which are put on our social media feed of the installation. But he said he remembered back in the stucco era days that we've always talked about how underlayment is so important for siding. So he was taking pictures of the guys doing the work. And as they were installing the underlayment, he said the underlayment, they started from the top and then worked their way down. So we had some video <laughs> of it. I said, what'd you do? He goes, well, I didn't really do much because we couldn't communicate with them. So by the time the contractor came out, they had that wall ripped down, the new window installed, and the entire wall installed in six hours. But when the siding was up- Including the siding in six hours? Including the okay. siding. Right. That's how fast it was done. Okay. I said, well, we're not going to talk about the workmanship. Let's talk about the underlayment. Now, the underlayment is the most important thing when it comes to siding. Vinyl siding leaks. Stucco leaks. It's going to bring water in. It brings air in. It's how you tie that underlayment. And we've done tons of shows on window installations, why you should- work together if you're going to do the windows with the siding because you can tie all that in together, the rubber, the foam, the underlayment. And by doing it, you're getting a better job. So that's one of the reasons why he went this way. But let's get back to that underlayment. Do you know what I'm talking about? If you started from the top and work your way down, what the problem is? You're going to get the, the water's going to leak. The water's going to drain right. it on down, right? Inside the house. Yeah. I mean, that's like siding 101, isn't it? How would somebody make a mistake like that? Uh, because they're cutting down on time. So as you're up there, you're ripping down. Well, once you get down to about, say, six feet, they put a layer of underlayment. They rip down another six feet. And then so they put doing it wrong room. is a smart way to save time. Yeah, they save some time, which is great. <laughs> now for the homeowner, if he's going to have the problem, the water's going to be leaking in. So when you do underlayment, when you start it from the bottom, the next one's going to overlap. So when that overlap happens, when water does get behind there, the drain plane is going to force it out. This way, it's forcing it in. So number two, as he said, the J channel was out sticking past the capping. I said, well, that could be a little bit of an issue, but you got to maintain it. That's normal. If you weren't getting a new roof, then you could pack it out a little bit further. But I said, let's talk about what's at hand and what you're getting. Putting that underlayment wrong, what that's going to do is if you have moisture, people talk about when they get vinyl siding done. This is anywhere in the country. If you have vinyl siding done, it hasn't rained in three weeks and you're seeing drip holes and water's coming out of it. That's the humidity on the backside. That's sweating on that element and what's dripping down it's coming through those weep holes right well if you don't have any underlayment or proper installation of it the water's going to be going into your weep holes that's part of the siding yeah that's just part of it but when you get a hard driving rain windows it's great because if you tie everything in you're never having a problem if you have the siding that's up siding leaks water it does you can have a heavy rain and people say i've seen water coming out i'm like yeah i get it vinyl siding is just there to shed water and put a new color and a nice look to your house but that underlayment is so important from the beginning because if you never want to have a problem, put your underlayment on right. I've never seen this before. In the last 10 years, I've never seen anybody install this way. But they're in about quality of workmanship is not there, but time. They had it ripped down and put back up. Guy came out. He said, this is wrong. Had the video. Showed him the same video he showed me. Made the contractor rip it down and redo it. So I said, well, here's some of the things that we're going to educate our listeners. Quality control. You sign with the contractor. Where is the quality control of those guys doing the work? If you can't communicate with them, you're asking for a job. You had the video. The video probably is non-existent. Exactly. So if you're going to be doing a job as a contractor and it's non-existent, what's the sense of doing business 
and supplying something for a homeowner that's not a great job. These are the questions I always have for these contractors. And I still want to just come on the show. I would love to have the contractor come on the show. He doesn't want any parts of coming on. He said, I will fix it. But the problem is, how many times has he done this to other homeowners? Well, one would believe that it's happened a lot. If it happened that one time, it wasn't the only time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's talk about quality control. So when you're hiring somebody, quality control is going to be a big part. Because I know we talked about it, that very rarely a contractor is going to be, hey, I'm the owner, I'm going to be the one doing the work. But if you're not doing the work and you are going to sub out, like, and I'm not faulting anybody for trying to make a buck, but just do the homeowner right. If you're not going to be there for quality control, what if this whole house was done this way? And then by the time you had the video, the homeowner has a bad job. Is this contract going to rip? Essentially, if you, did it, if you want to do the right thing by the, uh, by the homeowner, you got to rip it down and do it over. Yeah, but everybody's about <laughs> the SNS. Now, we talk about SNS, it's salesmen and subs. Mm-hmm. I love to have a contract come on and say, yeah, well, we really don't do that. We're one physically doing the work and we've got homeowners that will testify and we've got video. I'm sure they're out there though, Kev. They are. There are. They're very few, but there are Mm -hmm. out there. But again, I'm not faulting anybody. I I made this decision in 96 to do what I wanted to do. But if you're going to be selling a product and you're going to be installing a product, your guys, whether they're going to be subs or employees, should be doing the right work from the beginning because you're servicing a homeowner. And if you don't service the homeowner right in the beginning, they're going to have a lifetime of problems because any siding today, whether it's cheap or expensive, is going to last from anywhere from 20 to 50 years. So now they got to live with this problem. So what are the problems that are going to occur with damage by doing something wrong? If you do it right the first time, you're basically minimizing any problems. So I tell people, listen, I've been busy for 33 years. Why don't I have problems? Where are my problems? Why aren't people calling me back saying, well, you did everything wrong and it's all got to be ripped out. I don't have these problems. But even still, in 89 to 96, I did sub out. And I felt that the quality wasn't where I wanted it to be. Mm -hmm. So when we downsized and said, I'm just going to be doing the work, Dave and I, that was a great decision because now it's servicing the homeowner for a future. And then we're getting more work out of that. I tell you, we've done jobs where we had windows in and when you put the foam and the rubber, you can see it's doing the job because we did a job where we did an addition five years later, had to rip out our windows because part of the house that we're building an addition. And everything was fine. Well, the only thing wasn't fine is trying to get the window out. It was so difficult for us because it was installed so perfectly. They don't pop out. We've got to really take the window out. You've got to sawzall some of the foam out. You've got to, to order new nailing flanges for the window. How that long does that foam hold up? Is it years? Most of the poly products that you see today are pretty much years that we're, we're doing. Now, we've been doing it for almost 20 years using the product. So. so would that foam still be operational? I can't see why not. It's not mm, in the sun. Okay. It's mm. not hitting any of the elements. It's just under the window. It's in the cavity of the, the wall. Mm-hmm. So you have a product that's poly and all kinds of other stuff that's in there, uh, it's going to last. Usually when sun and water and air is hitting a product, it's going to deteriorate over time, but this is inside the wall. But here's the thing I tell homeowners, if I install your window and it's just a basic window installation, so the clock say wears out in three years, it's got to go through a layer of rubber, it's got to go through a nailing flange, sealant, spray foam insulation before it gets into the cavity of your house. Do you think it's going to leak? No, no. Might cost a little bit more money in the, in the in the beginning or up front, but you're never having a problem. So, how do you know as a homeowner that hey, he did a great job? If this homeowner didn't catch it, the siding would have been done. It could have been a problem. He would have never known because the outside walls, the sheathing would be rotting away. So who knows? But he caught it in the beginning because he listens to the show. Or if it's stuck, oh, you'd have uh, you'd probably have a lot of the mold. When water keeps getting inside your house, over you're going to have over, you're going to have mold. It's what's going to happen? Yeah. So that's one of the things when they started doing vinyl siding years ago, some areas of uh, parts of the country never put an underlayment underneath. But that's when people were having problems. Now they're forcing you to put underlayments. 
you, you can't do sodding or anything or stucco without putting an underlayment down. So, and properly doing the underlayment. Technology's come a long way. Why not utilize that technology so people can never have a problem? Listen, it's a lot of money to do all this work. Sure. Why not do it right the first time? A lot so of money, a lot of time. A lot of time. So, people's hard earned savings. That it is. Listen, stick with us because we've got the second in uh, the Coolest Neighborhoods in America series coming up. We're going to be in Medford Lakes, New Jersey. Really, really cool place. And a lot of the log homes that were built there when Medford Lakes was a sort of a resort area are still there today and they're lived in 365. So stick with us. Another really cool segment coming up. All right, we'll be back after we take a quick break. Kev, is it hard for clients planning large exterior projects to visualize how the colors and textures work together? It used to be, especially when they mix products from different manufacturers. Provia's new website and broad selection of exterior products make my job easy. Clients' faces light up as they choose all the products needed to give their home's exterior a now look with Provia's product line and their amazing new website. We use their visualizer right from my laptop. Hey, the site is amazing. Provia makes color selection a breeze. The website has eight suggested exterior color schemes that can be applied to Provia products, or customers can choose shades from any palette to suit their own tastes. The Design Center tab must be a great tool for you in visualizing how all Provia products work in harmony based on window and door configuration, siding, stone, and metal roofing color and style. It's brilliant. You can see how Provia products work together on a sample home or a photo of a client's own home. Then you save the work with the My Portfolio tab. The site even lets me take exterior measurements. The new Provia.com and an expansive line of exterior products deliver on Provia's mission, which is to serve by caring for details in ways others won't. For updating home exteriors, our listeners should go to Provia.com slash YVH first and visualize the possibilities. Okay, Ron, now it is time for our featured segment, and we're going to be continuing with the coolest neighborhoods in America, correct? Yeah, this is our second uh, in the series of the coolest neighborhoods in America. We determined largely on the basis of an enduring historical architectural style. Doing total five neighborhoods, the second one. I can tell you the homeowners in all these places seem to have one admirable trait in common, and that is they're passionate about their homes and their neighborhoods. It's really palpable. Let's go to neighborhood number two, and that's Medford Lakes, New Jersey. I've been to Medford for lakes many times my cousin lives in that area it's a magical place it's blessed with a park-like setting and boasts a large collection of log homes so with us are robert burton borough manager and lou cobb medford lakes unofficial historian and photographer both of whom are longtime residents of medford lakes i bicycled the streets of medford lakes not long ago with my cousin and my significant other rosemary and we came upon a lakeside house where rosemary spent her summer weekends with her aunt and uncle she did that as a child we enjoyed a fascinating afternoon with a lady owner who was in the middle of renovations doing a great job too it was this experience that sparked the idea for the series the coolest neighborhoods in america medford lakes is definitely one of the coolest that i've been to so robert can you give us a geographic fix on the location of medford lakes borough and when the borough was formed and thanks for having me i appreciate the time interesting story we're in the southwest area of burlington county in what would be considered south jersey and the idea of medford lakes was in the works long before we became a borough in 1939, but around the 1929 time is when this magical place started to kind of grow. But we were incorporated into a borough in 1939. And how many lakes are there with Medford Lakes? There are 22 lakes in Medford Lakes, but I should preface that by saying anybody who's been to North Jersey, the lakes up there are substantially larger than the ones down here. So our 22 lakes could probably fit into a couple of the bigger lakes in northern New Jersey. I know there's a lot of cranberry farming down in that part of Jersey years ago. Were any of those lakes or anything nearby devoted to cranberry farming? 
Not in Medford Lake specifically that I'm aware of. We are surrounded by cranberry bogs in this area. There's a huge amount of cranberry production down here, and it's kind of slowed down, I think, in certain areas. But nothing specific in Medford Lakes, but, you know, a stone's throw in either direction would get you to a cranberry bog. And, and I've often been in the woods hiking and come across cranberry bogs that aren't even used anymore in the Pine Barrens. The fact that Medford Lakes is deep in New Jersey's Pinelands National Reserve, that's got to be part of the uniqueness and appeal when people want to move there, right? Yes. We're in the heart of the Pinelands. Our slogan is Medford Lakes in the Pines. It's quiet. You go out in the evening and I sit on my deck, even when it's cold like this, and you can look up and see the stars and and hear the wind kind of whistling through the pines. That's definitely part of the quaintness. I mean, you could get in your car or, or even a bicycle, to be honest with you, and ride in one direction and effectively be in the middle of nowhere. I've actually done it. Mm-hmm. And it's just it gives you a good feeling to be there. It's a good vibe to it. What is the current resident population of Bedford Lakes? We're just under about 4,500 people, which would, that would consist of about 1,500 homes. And how many are still made of log today? The original kind of historic district, which is where everything started, probably 85 to 90 percent of the homes that are in that area are still original log or what we would call like a mock log or like a half log. And then as the community grew from there, the particular trail that I live on was built in 64 and is not a log home. So as they kind of expanded out from the original footprint, newer and more modern materials were used kind of after that. There could have been a different choice of materials at the time. What actually ignited the whole log idea? Well, I think the availability of wood in the area and the quaintness of a log cabin. I think, you know, Leon Todd, the kind of founder of Medford Lakes, looked at, hey, listen, this is kind of a summer playground. And when you get out into the woods and it has a woodsy feel and you have these small, quaint log cabins, of course, back in that time, you, you didn't have really sprawling mansions or anything like that. These were fairly small log homes that at first people actually didn't even live year-round. It was more of like a summer retreat type of a place. But I think he keyed in on something that everybody, when they see a log cabin, there is a feel to that, a hominess to it, surrounded by beautiful pines and lakes and things like that. And I think that was the drive behind it. Yeah, there's no question about that. Lou, there was a hotel there. I don't think it's there anymore, made of logs, right? Yes, the Law Cabin Hotel, which ultimately became Settlers Inn in either the late 70s, early 80s. But the Law Cabin Hotel is where we actually stayed when we moved to Metro Lakes in 1965. Mm. They had they had little rooms at the top, a fascinating place to stay overnight. And then it was, uh, after that, uh, just a restaurant. They had some crafters lofts that took over the hotel rooms. But Settlers Inn was just a restaurant for a number of years before it burned down in 1998. So there's no hotel there now? No, it was replaced by uh, P.J. Willihan's. Uh, the, the lot was vacant for a few years, and I believe around 03 or 04 is when uh, P.J.'s went in there. Bob, I think I've seen pictures of your administrative offices for uh, the borough. Aren't they in a log structure? They are. It's a newer building. It was 2007. Prior to that, it was the original log structure that housed Leon Todd's office and the police station. Unfortunately, it was not in great shape, and ultimately, we weren't able to save it. There was some additions that were put on and some other little things, and it was a cool building, the original municipal cabin, but unfortunately, as many things, they deteriorate to the point where they can't be repaired. So this building was put up, and this is a log building, and I should also point out that PJ's is also a log building. So the PJ's wheel hands that uh, sits where Settlers Inn was, that was required to be replaced when Settlers Inn burned down 
you know, whoever was going to go into that property had to put a log up. That was part of the ordinance of, of Medford Lakes that that had to be replaced by a, a log building. PJ's did a, a pretty nice job. It's a, it's a nice building. When did Medford Lakes become a year-round community? Did you mention that? It was incorporated in 39 in the mid to late 40s, and Lou will correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe it was around that time that you had small houses popping up that people were staying here you know, year-round. Just a kind of a quick side note, back almost 20 years ago, there was a barber in downtown Medford who I used to go to all the time, and he was an old-timer. And he said, yeah, growing up in the early 50s, I think he said, you knew how many people were living in Medford Lakes. He said there was like five or six people because you could tell by the smoke from their chimneys in the wintertime. How about that? And he said, I think there wasn't any more than four or five people that lived up there. And that was when Stokes Road was a dirt road, even downtown Medford. And looking back at those stories from him, it was pretty funny to, to, to hear that there wasn't that many people. But I think with the you know oil heat and things like that, people started staying year round, I would say somewhere probably in the 50s. Would you say that's about right, Lou? I think that's true. There was a, a dramatic change. In that decade, you think about 1957 when the first school was opened, Nakoma School, and the NIDA Mm -hmm. was constructed in 1961. So there was a lot of change during that decade. Can you give us a sense of uh, how the log homes were were built? I think it's a fascinating. Uh, they're fascinating to see. They're fascinating to see the inside of. They're traditional type log homes. They used cedar. Some of them used pine. Uh, obviously, cedar has kind of a natural repellent to uh, insects and things like that. So if you could get that, that was a uh, good to get. But you know, a lot of them were made with pine. And they were, you know, Lincoln log type structures. A lot of stuff you see in the Midwest are Scandinavian type logs that are flattened on the top and bottom so they fit right together. Most of the logs in Medford Lakes were put together and and the gaps were filled with chinking, which is a cement type of material that, from what I understand, early on was a mixture of ash and water and other types of material that helped it bind together. And then those crevices were filled with chinking. So that way, you know, you didn't have gaps in your wall. It had to be somewhat of an insulator too, right? Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because, you know, there's two schools of thought on that. A lot of people have log homes and they go, oh, they're great. They're cool in the summer and they're warm in the winter. And then there are some people that say, they're drafty and I think it all comes down to maintenance. You know, if I think if you upkeep it and do what you need to do and, you know, love your, your home, so to speak, I think they're fine. The chinking keeps the wind out. And one of the negatives, I think, if you have to point to one is obviously closet space and things like that. When you're, when you're building a log home, very much like back in the 1800s, those were luxuries that were not put into floor plans, closets and things like that. Isn't there synthetic chinking today? Yes. It's actually a, a company, not that I'm trying to get any proceeds from permachink but that's the main company out there that they sell a flexible type of a chinking material which interestingly enough is what we used on our building here a municipal cabin that flexes with the temperature because wood does there is a certain amount of of expanding and contracting you know wood does especially over the course of the first you know several years regular chinking can start to crumble and, and fall out. So the synthetic chinking has really made the maintenance on log cabins, I think, a lot easier. It looks pretty good, and but there are still the purists that say, nope, I'm, I'm using regular chinking. Those people still live in Medford Lakes? Sure. Yeah, there's mm-hmm. people that use synthetic, and there's people that say, nope, I'm doing it the way the old timers did it. The old ways are the best ways, yeah. How many of the original log homes are still occupied in Medford Lakes today? It's, it's hard to say. I, I would... I would say it's, you know, it's got to be 85 to 90 percent. Looking at old pictures, and, and Lou is a treasure trove of pictures, everything Medford Lakes, you can see 
log cabins that have been here in the 40s and 50s from some of the photographs. Now, some have deteriorated to the point where they had to be taken down, but I would think it's in the 85 to 90 percent, wouldn't you, Lou? I agree. It would be somewhere in that ballpark, yes. Isn't your concentration of log homes one of the greatest in America? That's the rumor, this That's side the of rumor. the Mississippi. I think it helps that we're only 1.2 square miles. That probably helps our, number, our numbers a little bit. Supposedly, it is the highest concentration of log homes this side of the Mississippi. And I have not heard of any other concentration of log homes more on the other side of the Mississippi, for that matter. So, I can't imagine that there are a lot of them out there yet. Of course, the country. If I wanted to build a log home in Medford Lakes today, is there available land, number one? And are there contractors in the area who know log home construction? We're basically built out. There is no lots to really be had here. There may be one or two small parcels of land that have some other things that are attached to them that can make it difficult. But for the most part, if you were moving to Medford Lakes and you wanted to build a log home, you know, your best bet would probably to be is, is find maybe a, a home that is not a log home that's, that's older that you could kind of retrofit and, and do it that way. I can tell you that there are builders in town that have done tremendous work on existing logs as far as expanding them, making them slightly larger. Because you do have to remember this was a summertime vacation areas. I would say by and large, most of the original log cabins here were smaller. They were not 2022 type standards gotcha. of living that people look for now. A lot of people have purchased some of these older log cabins and expanded them to, you know, have a have an addition of some type with bedrooms or a master suite or anything similar to that. And there are builders that I can tell you one particular builder in town did an addition on a house and and when I came out I could not tell where the original log cabin was in the extension the addition was. It was that seamless of a job that you couldn't even tell. Yeah, that was exactly the situation I described in the intro to this piece where my significant other, we went back, we found this house where she used to go as a little girl and he was replacing some logs and there was an addition in that house that made it pretty huge actually. And it looked mm -hmm. just like the original. What is the Medford Lakes experience? What's it like to live there? I'll let Lou take that one first because he has been here a lot longer than me. I don't want to give your age away, Lou. I apologize. But, uh, <laughs> we've been friends for 15, 20 years almost. Something like so, that. Yeah, and he was here before that. So go ahead. Well, Lou. I sort of give my age away by saying that we moved here in 1965 and I was in seventh grade. So you can figure that out. But it's a remarkable town. It's interesting that my mother was in real estate for 40 years in this area. But my father found a house. And they both fell in love with it immediately because of its uniqueness, its small town flavor, its all of the attractions that most people that live here today and those that have moved away will say it is the most idyllic setting to raise a family. There's just so many activities. We're close to major cities. Philadelphia, New York, an hour's drive from the Jersey Shore. But there's so much to do right here that you don't really need to leave. I mean, you can vacation as Leon Todd established back in the 1920s and have a wonderful experience right here. We made reference to Canoe Carnival earlier. Canoe Carnival started back in 1928, and we just had the 90th event this past summer. It's hard to explain. I've tried to do that before. You really need to go on YouTube and type in Metro Lakes Canoe Carnival to really see what it's all about. But uh, in essence, it's building floats on two canoes or one canoe and paddling around our largest lake, uh, Lower Etna. Sports is phenomenal here. We have a building that I've often referred to as the world's greatest little sports arena is Vaughn Hall. 
and the kids are just getting started with basketball. So that goes on for a couple of months. There's spring sports, uh, the, you know, fall activities. We have the, the fall festival. We have every year the school events that, that go on that like the eighth grade dance that you wouldn't see in any other town. I could go on and on. There's just so much that makes Metro Lake special. And in so many ways, it hasn't changed in the 57 years that I have been here. Where small town America uh, has continued to thrive and in many respects has not changed. And that's what makes it so special. And I'll add to that with summer camp. Summer camp really hasn't changed. That's something that has gone on here for eons, where there's all kinds of activities. Kids ride their bikes to school here. That's another biggie. We, we don't have busing here. The Iron Men and women, I should say, of Medford Lakes ride their bikes year-round. I mean, there's, there's kids that you'll see them in the snow because they, they won't be able to say they rode their bikes to school every single day of that particular year. But yeah, so there's no busing. And I'm looking out the window of my office right now, looking on Ballinger Lake and looking at the lion's Christmas tree that was just put in here a couple weekends ago. That is a tradition that's a fantastic tradition. When you ride down Stokes Road, leaving Medford and entering Medford Lakes, the first thing you see on your right-hand side is a beautiful lit Christmas tree, Christmas tree yeah. uh, mm-hmm. in the middle, middle of a, a lake. Yeah, I mean, that, that sums it up, too. And that's a great tradition. The, the lighting of the tree that Rob just referenced, that happened back earlier in the month, and it's a community event. People came out, and Rob read Twas the Night Before Christmas to the kids, and then we went outside and lit the tree, and then Santa Claus arrived on a fire truck and was greeted enthusiastically, naturally, by all the town's children. Santa rides around all over town, up and down every trail, four or five hours, and the kids can run out and and see Santa on the back of a fire truck. Great tradition. When you say trails, a lot of your streets there have Indian names, don't they? From what I understand, the, it was the, the Lenape Indians that were primarily in, in this area. If you really start going back, there's a great book by author, last name is McPhee, about the Jersey Pine Barrens. He goes into some detail about sections of Shemung that actually had a, an Indian reservation that was Indian Mills was the section of the town, which is literally right up the, the road. You could You could walk there in 25 minutes. Um, and I think Leon Todd understood the uniqueness of the town. You know, there were native tribes from the Lenape Indians that lived in this area, frequent in this area. Naming 99% of the trails after Indian tribes, I think, was great. It, it pays honor to those indigenous people, you know, all over the country. I mean, obviously, there's, we have a lot of trails, and not all those particular tribes were local. Yeah, but I think I, it, even when you go right down to the logo of the town is an arrowhead. The Colony Club, which is effectively, I, I don't want to say homeowners association because that's so much bigger than what it is, but that would be the only way to describe it to people that don't live in Medford Lakes. But the Medford Lakes Colony Club, their, their logo was also an arrowhead. So we're certainly fond of the trail names and proud of it. You're right. Homeowners Association, it does not adequately describe what you've got going on there. And it's something that I've experienced in putting the series together here in Philadelphia, in Pasadena, California with Bungalow Heaven is this very special feeling about the community and pride in the community and involvement in the community that I think there's a need for more of across the United States. And your community, Medford Lakes, just exudes that to me. I think you also have a log church there, don't you? Yes, there were technically two churches here. There's the Cathedral in the Woods, which just made it on the 
National Historic Registry, I believe, in 2020. And prior to that, I think 10 years before that, St. Mary of the Lake's original church, which is now, I believe, owned by the Protestant Church, when St. Mary's built a new church in Medford Township in the 70s, I want to say. But that building is also on a National Historic Registry. Lou, if you want to add anything to that, you probably know a little bit more about that than me. The phenomenal church is also adjacent to Leontob Memorial Park, which was constructed back in 2011 on the 10th anniversary of 9-11. And it's really something to experience and, and to visit for people that come to the town and stay with relatives and friends or just if you live here. Uh, and we have a, a ceremony there every year and it's adjacent to the church. And it's quite moving. And, and Rob mentioned the arrowhead. There's a shape of an arrowhead that's right in the middle of this memorial. It's, it's really an incredible park that everybody here really appreciates. The aerial shot of it, you can see the arrowhead if you look at an aerial shot of it, and it's, it's beautiful. I can tell you for a fact, my cousin, she's moving. Her husband died about a year ago, and she's moving to a smaller house, and she wants to, she loves Medford Lakes. She absolutely, they're right on, I guess they're right on the um, edge of Medford Lakes across from the golf course. You have your own onboard golf course there, too, which is another plus, mm-hmm. I think. That's uh, right. And she wants to stay in Medford Lakes. So I'm, uh, I think, well, you suggested a realtor for me, and I passed that on to her, so... Listen, it's been absolutely fascinating to me. It was fascinating putting together. Lou, thank you very much. Thank you for all, all your help. Thank you for your expertise, and thank you, too, for living in Medford Lakes. It sounds, yeah, sounds like a beautiful place to be to me. It is indeed. Thank you both. Hey, Kev, great news on how our listeners can tap into their home equity without taking a loan, making monthly payments, or piling on debt. With Unison, they get up to 17.5% of their home's value to remodel, pay off debt, buy a vacation home, whatever. You have Unison, right? Yep, paid off medical debt. Unison's terms were perfect for me, especially zero monthly payments for up to 30 years. Zero monthly payments? How do they make money? When you sell your home, you pay them the original co-investment amount plus a percentage of the change in your home's value up to 30 years later. How do we learn more? Go to unison.com backslash YVH, which stands for Your Valuable Home. Again, that's unison.com backslash YVH. Additional terms and conditions apply. Visit unison.com backslash YVH for details. Remember the name Provia, your single source for professional class, entry doors, storm doors, patio doors, vinyl and wood clad vinyl windows, vinyl siding, manufacturing stone and metal roofing products made with latest technology and honest old world craftsmanship the Provia way that's this week's podcast your valuable home comes to you every week on the new pod city podcast network apple Podcasts, and all other popular podcast directories if you want us to share your home improvement project or horror story email me at kevin at your that's kevin at your and don't forget to tell your friends and family about Your Valuable Home, the weekly podcast that's all about building wealth in residential real estate and hiring the right contractor to do the right job at the right price. 